To make a relationship work, you must practice the principles of unity. This message is the seventh in the series, Friends. The message is entitled, How to Build a Strong Friendship, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, and your teaching sheets as we wrap up this important series of messages we've been involved in entitled Friends. And I want to continue the theme that I started last weekend, How to Build Strong Friendships. Whether it's a marriage, it's a, a buddy friendship relationship you have, it may be a work relationship, you know, parent to children, children to parent. Every relationship requires something called work. And a lot of people don't realize the amount of work that goes into relationships. They think that sort of friendships and marriages and things just happen. Well, they don't just happen. They require a lot of effort. And God is very clear in his word to help us to see the kind of effort that's re re required for relationships to be strong. I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verses 2 and 3, verse, verse 2, and we'll also read verse number 3. And uh, let's see what the scripture says about this idea of building relationships. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. Circle that phrase, if you will, on your notes. Make every effort. To keep the unity, circle the word unity, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. The word effort literally means in the Greek language to strive for, to labor for. It's the idea, the concept of working at. And what are we working toward? What are we laboring for? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so the work in relationship is for a goal, and the goal is unity, that we might come together as one. God is very big on unity. God is one God in three persons. In fact, the Godhead is perfect unity. God is anti-division because division is division. And that's exactly what happened in heaven when Lucifer was cast out. He rebelled against God. He got a vision other than God's vision, and it led to him being expelled from heaven. And he's been a rebel ever since. And so vision and unity come together as we apply God's principles in our life. It's true for marriage. God's plan for marriage is that husbands and wives, wives would be unified. In fact, Jesus very clearly gave us the principles of marriage. We talked about that a bit last week. Let me take you to it again in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. A lot of folks don't realize that Jesus actually defined marriage. And I will say this. Don't let the world define marriage for you. Let Jesus define marriage for you, okay? Let the scriptures be your guide, okay? It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what any particular people say. The authority for our lives is the word of God, amen? That's what we go to for what do we, how do we believe? What do we think about things? And the scripture informs us. It tells us how we ought to think and how we ought to live. And so that's why we ought to be biblically based Christians. Know what the word of God says about different topics and ideas and concepts that float around in our culture. But Jesus was very clear about marriage. Notice what he says. Haven't you read, read what? The scriptures. Haven't you read God's word? That uh, he replied that at the beginning the creator made them. How did God create them? Male and female. And said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united. Notice that word united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Notice that word become. You might want to circle that on your notes. It's a process. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to work at it. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So again, I don't have time to talk about all the aspects of marriage that Jesus speaks of here. It's very thorough in terms of how he covers it and how he defines it. But what we must understand is that the goal of marriage between a husband and wife is unity, that they might become one. So what are the principles of unity? I'm not going to take time this morning to review where I was last weekend, the, the points that I shared with you. I would hope that uh, if you haven't, if you were not here last weekend, that you will download the message online at church-redeemer.org. You can pick up that message free of charge and review the first six principles I gave you. Uh, these are the six additional ones. There are 12 total principles of building unity. How do you build unity in any relationship? So let's dive into the six for today. Again, if you missed uh, the message last weekend, it's available for you. Just pick that up and review that because it'll help you to have a full sense of what this is all about. For, for today, six things that will help build unity. Number one, you have to make regular deposits in your relationships, regular deposits. All of us understand the concept of deposits in the realm of finances, that there is a bank account that you have and you have to put money in before you can take it out. And if you take out more than you put in, we call that trouble, okay? We call that stress. We call that pain. We call that financial upside-down living, okay? And so there's deposits that are made so that withdrawals can happen. In any relationship, there will always be withdrawals. Have you ever hurt somebody's feelings? Have you? Shake your head. Are you alive today? Just want to make sure all the campuses, right? right? You've hurt somebody's feelings before. Have you ever needed grace from somebody before? Of course you have. You ever needed mercy from somebody before? You ever needed understanding from somebody before? Well, yeah, we all need that in relationships. So there are times that we withdraw from a relationship, but what helps us to be able to withdraw successfully is if we have made good deposits in, if we've made good investments in the relationship. And notice what Jesus said about this. This principle will change your entire way of living. Not just in relationships, but every realm of life. Jesus' words, give, and it will be given to you. Not take, but what's the first word? Give. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so the concept that Jesus gives us is that you and I need to be in this process of moving from being a taker to being a giver because as I shared in the first message of this series, love is not about what I get. Love is about what I give. Very important. Number two, the second thing that's necessary if you're going to build unity, you have to learn to weather seasons well. Weather the seasons well. Genesis 8, 22, as long as the earth endures. This is, by the way, after the flood. Noah and the ark and all of that has happened. Now it's the reset restoration of the earth after this. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. God says, I've established the world to operate on the basis of seasons. And by the way, your life operates on the basis of seasons as well. You will go through all kind of seasons throughout your life. My wife and I, as I told you last week, I believe it was, this end of this month, we'll be married for 39 years. And we've had lots of different seasons in our life. We got married, just the two of us, and, you know, that was fun. And then a little baby comes along, and that's a different season. And then after the first baby, the second baby came along, that's another season, okay? And then the kids go to school, that's a 
season, they start going to school, they start having homework, and then you've got to drive them to all the different practices and events and things that transpire in their life. That's another season. And then, thank God, they graduate from high school and go off to college. Praise the Lord, okay? And that's another season, okay? After they finish college, they come back home, okay? And they move into your house again. And for a little bit, you're glad to have them for a couple of weeks, okay? It's like, fantastic. But we really enjoy that other season, okay? And then they get married and they move out and they have grandchildren. Amazing season, okay? But life is a sequence of seasons. They just come and go. And seasons really are a wonderful variety. It's a great thing about life is that life comes in seasons. One of the things I love about living in Maryland is we get all four seasons every year. This is God's country, okay? We get all the seasons. I mean, where else can you live and have rain for four weeks in a row? It's incredible. Who would want to live in San Diego with 72 degrees year-round? You don't want to live that way, right? You've got to have some cold and some hot, some muggy. You've got to have all this stuff. Why? Because it makes life interesting, doesn't it, okay? When you wake up in the morning and there's two feet of snow on the ground, it makes life interesting, okay? When it's 99 degrees and 100% humidity, it makes life interesting. It's a different season. And so life goes through seasons and you have to weather them well. You have to handle them well. And relationships have to adjust in seasons. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes it's a rejoicing season. And when, you're re when people are rejoicing, what should you be doing? Rejoicing and mourn with those who mourn. They're mourning seasons. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's a time for everything under the sun. Proverbs 3 verse 3, let love and faith Notice this phrase, circle if you will, never what? Leave you, never leave you, no matter what the season is. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Number three, be kind and positive. If you want to build unity, be kind and positive. This is something we have to work on continually in our lives. Developing kindness and developing a positive attitude. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Would you read this together with me, all of our campuses? Let's read it aloud and loudly. Here we go. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Circle the two words, opposite words there, gentle and harsh. Circle them. They're juxtaposed for a reason. Gentle, harsh, one way versus another. Gentleness is kindness, and kindness nurtures Kindness is giving mercy. Kindness is forgiving. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Kindness is a tender attitude toward things and processes that people face in life. Harshness wears away. Something that's harsh corrodes, it eats away. And so the challenge of our life is to learn how to bring kindness to the relationships of life. Kindness in your marriage and kindness with your friendships and kindness with all realms of life because kindness nurtures unity but harshness eats away. It destroys it. And then to not only be kind but to also be positive because positive people are pleasant to be around. Are they not? I like to be around positive people. Negativity is a killer. It's a killer. And I want to encourage you to reduce the use of words like no, can't, not possible. Get that stuff out of your vocabulary. Why? Because we're Christians. We're believers. Amen? Okay? And as a believer, we stand up each day and say, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. No matter how hard it might be or difficult the season might be, I'm not going to slink into the negative perspective of life. I'm not going to say, no, it's not possible. I'm going to say, with God, all things are possible. I'm not going to say, no, it's too hard. I'm going to say, with God, nothing is too hard. I'm not going to say it can't be done. I'm going to say, with Christ, all things are possible to those that believe. And so we adjust our conversation, our words, to the positive from the negative. I'll give you an example of something I observed recently. As you guys know, I was away in, in a couple of weeks ago in Spain doing some pastor's conferences there. And so for the first part of the week, we were up in Barcelona, or over in Barcelona. And then for the latter part of the week, we flew down to uh, uh, Malaga, which is on the, the southern coast near Gibraltar. And it was, uh, it's the Mediterranean coast there. And, and this was the latter part of the week, the story I'm going to tell you. And, and we had a little time, so I was going to grab a sandwich at lunch one day at one of the little sidewalk cafes. And so I go into the cafe, and uh, I, I know I know enough Spanish to get myself in trouble, okay? Um, and I can converse with people fairly well and get along pretty, pretty easily in, in, in Spanish-speaking countries. Uh, but this was a situation where I'm looking at the menu and I've got to decide, I want a sandwich, I've got to grab it quickly here, and so what am I going to have? And they had, a, they had a cheese sandwich on the menu, and I thought, queso, sounds good to me, I have a cheese sandwich. But they also had eggs on the menu, two separate items, so you sort of get a breakfast sort of deal and a, or a cheese sandwich. And so I thought, you know what would really be good right now? I would like to have an egg on my cheese sandwich, right? Right? A Spanish egg McMuffin, how about that, Okay. I want, I want an egg on my cheese sandwich. That's what I, so I, I communicated with the, the lady that was, was serving us, and I said, you know, I'd like to have the egg. You got eggs. You have a cheese sandwich. Could you just put the egg on the cheese sandwich? You know what her response was? No es posible. I'm like, no es posible? You can't put the egg I could actually order the cheese sandwich and order the egg, and I could put the egg on. I'm just simply asking you, would you mind doing that in the kitchen before you bring it to me? No, es posible. No, 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 can't do that. Well, we had a little conversation back and forth and you know, as to whether this was possible or not, and then she said, no, it's not possible. She walked away, went back in the kitchen, and uh, evidently the owner had a conversation with her. I mean, the owner makes a difference, amen? Okay. <laughs> What the server can't do, the owner says, no, we're going to do that, okay? And so they came back and brought me my egg sandwich with the, well, my cheese sandwich with the egg on it. But what I want you to see is what was the first response of this young lady? No, 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 no. So I thought I would test her again. No, I really wasn't thinking that way. So it wasn't that cruel. But I think we got to the end of the, 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 the meal. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to, before I go, I wanna, I'd like to have a coffee cappuccino. And so... Uh, the way they make cappuccinos, you guys still with me on the story? It's okay? All right. The way they make cappuccinos, at least my experience in, in, in Spain, was they make it kind of a coffee with milk. And normally here in America, we sort of steam the milk on top and froth it. But the way they do it there is about half to three quarters of coffee and milk. And then they get the ready whip, okay? The, you know, the can whipped cream. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? And they just go on top and just spray it till it's like piled up about this high. And then they sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon on top, okay? That's their idea of a cappuccino. Well, I'd already had one of these before. And I thought, I don't need all those calories, amen, okay? All that whipped cream. And so I said, Joquiero, which I want on cappuccino. Pero, but... I didn't know how to say whipped cream, okay? So I'm like, I'm stuck with the whipped cream there. 
And so my words were, Manos. <laughs> this is true, okay? No quiero. <laughs> Yo quiero. <laughs> you get the difference, right? You get it, right? I don't want. <laughs> I want. Which is less whipped cream, right? Don't you get that? Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. Her response was, no es posible. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. We can only do cappuccinos. And I thought, you know, this would be, I could understand if I was asking for more whipped cream. Because I'm cutting into their profit margin, obviously, Okay. But I'm actually asking for less whipped cream, which they ought to be at the background saying, yeah, more money in the pockets for us. But the problem was the attitude and the person. Amen? And how many times do you in your life, whether you realize it or not, you approach situations with the big no or with the can't, with the impossible? And what it does is it infects the relationships of your life. And so God, I believe that one of the, one of the most amazing works that God does in the hearts of people is he moves them from the negative to the positive, from the I can't to I can, from the no's in life to the yeses in life. Amen? It makes a big difference in your relationships. All right, number four, deal with dirt diligently. The dirt here that I'm talking about are the things that get into your heart, stuff in your heart that hurts you or that you have against other people. Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. That is, when you get angry, don't, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That's saying that if you get anger in your heart, be careful. One of the things that I try to remember from time to time, and I've taught and will teach continually, is that anger is only one letter away from danger. Okay, Just add a D and you move from anger to danger. And so when anger rises... You have to remember that you're on dangerous turf. And if you let it stay in you, the Bible goes on to say that you actually give a place to the devil. You open up your life for the work of the adversary. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of this. Get it out of your system. All bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ in, God, just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm just going to touch this just for a brief moment. When you have things that happen in relationships, and they will, things will happen from time to time in any relationship, you get hurt, you get offended, something transpires, there's a misunderstanding, a miscommunication that happens. Those are moments that the devil loves because the devil loves to pounce on those moments and press that issue into your heart and let you keep it there. And what happens when, 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 that, when, when he's successful at that is that he gets dirt, he gets grime, he gets grit into the gears of your soul, okay? And anytime you get grit into gears, it's just a matter of time before it wears the gears away. The teeth of the gears are worn away and it can't function as it needs. It starts slipping along the way and things don't happen the way, they don't work the way they're designed to work. And the adversary loves to just sneak in and tell you that you have a right to feel that way, that you have a right to be offended, that you have a right to be angry, 
that you have a right to, just fill in the blank, to hold on to this stuff in your heart. And dear ones, let me tell you, you may, if you will, have a right to, but it's not right. Somebody may very well hurt you, and you may have a right, if you will, to get revenge. But revenge will never really satisfy you. What you carry in you is going to destroy you. As we've said before, when you hold on to bitterness and anger, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You take it into your own system. It's grit in your soul and it gets into the gears. You all understand what I'm saying there? It gets into the gears of your life and little by little it eats away at that. And so that's why when dirt gets into your soul, when you get hurt or offended or mad or frustrated about something, you need to get in the presence of God as quickly as possible and ask Him to wash that stuff out of your system, to clean it out of your heart. You need to forgive as quickly as you can forgive and get that stuff as far away from you as you possibly can because you don't want that stuff in you because it, it, it eats away at you. It destroys and affects the relationships of your life. Let's go to the final two, okay? Last two things. Number five, to build unity, you have to make time to be together. You have to make time to be together. Ephesians, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider, let's think about, consider, put some effort into this thought process. Let's consider how we may spur one, uh, one another on. Let's encourage, prompt one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, when I hear the word spur, I think about old cowboy movies. Some of you may not remember some of the old cowboy movies, but in the old cowboy movies, the, the cowboy would jump on the horse and he would always have the big boots on. On the back of the boots would be some spurs and he would use that to, quote, encourage the horse, okay? To move that horse along, to give that horse a little bit of a, a prompting to move forward. So the idea of spurring happened in relationship. The, the cowboy couldn't spur the horse without being on the horse, okay? There had to be a relationship between the horse and the cowboy, okay? The rider of the horse. What I'm saying is this. You can't spur people on if, you don't, if you're not together, if you're not connected with them. There has to be a relationship that, 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 it, that engages. It goes on here in verse 25 to say, not giving up meeting together. Of course, it's talking about the church. I believe it has broader implications. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging and spurring one another on. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So again, the spurring on, the encouragement happens when we come together. Let me say it again. Encouragement happens when we get, what's the word, church? Together. Say it again. Together. Something powerful and something important happens when people get together. Okay? That's why church attendance is so important. You think that I'm just telling you you ought to come to church so we have a good attendance. No, that's not what it's about. You need to be in church. You know why? Because when you come to the house of God, something happens that would not happen otherwise, okay? When you're in the house of God, something is going on. You're being spurred on, on whether you even realize it or not. You're taking, you're taking further in your relationship with God or you are protected from something that you might have fallen prey to otherwise because you're with the people of God. You're hearing the word of God. There's an encouragement that happens. The same is true in any relationship. In a marriage relationship, you have to be together. There are times that you share together that there comes encouragement out of that. 
and to be together, here's a very important thing to get. You have to schedule it. If you don't schedule it, it will not happen, right? Why do you think we schedule and publicize our church services? So you will know when to come together. If we said, okay, everybody just listen to the Holy Spirit. And you just show up when the Spirit tells you. Of course, that's silly. We would all miss it, right? Okay. But we schedule our services because we want you to know when to get together, okay? And the same is true in your marriage. Do you have together time? Do you have some time that you spend together? It can be a variety of things. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but it's a time of just being together, okay? Something that you schedule because that's what helps build relationships. How about with parents with children? Are there times, are there times that you are spending time together with them? I mean that there's something valuable being imparted to the relationship. I have a little bit of a pet peeve, and I don't mean this to uh, discourage anyone or condemn anyone, but I think it's something we're missing in our culture that would be awesome if we could restore it. And that's the, the benefit of the, the family meal time, okay? The time when the family just sits down. Everybody's around the table at one time, and it's a point of connection. And so I'd really encourage you, if it is all possible for some folks, the schedule, the way you work, and especially with single parents, it's very difficult. I understand that. But as you can, find those times. It might be a devotional time before the kids go to bed at night, but pull everybody together and say, we're going to pray just for a moment. Here's a Bible verse. Here's a little Bible story. I mean, don't do a two-hour lecture on the Antichrist for your devotions, okay? Don't do that, okay? Kids are going to get lost in the process. They're going to like, oh, we hate this. Just something little that's meaningful to them that will help them. But pray with them. Pray blessings on them. There's power in coming, what? Together. Last thing that we'll look at today. Very important principle. And that's to keep learning and to keep growing. Amen? I love Proverbs 19, verse 27. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and this is what will happen. You will stray. What will happen if you stop listening to instruction? What will happen to you? Help me, church. What will happen to you if you stop listening to instruction? I don't care if you're 15 or 55 or 95. If you stop listening to instruction, what will happen? You will stray from words of knowledge. And so you need to be a person. We all need to be people who say, you know what? I need instruction. Until I die and go to heaven, I want to be a learner. How about you? I want to continue to learn how to be a better husband. That's why from time to time I still read stuff about how to be a great husband. And that's why I sent articles to my wife about how to be a better wife. No, I really don't do that. That's a joke, okay? I would not be alive and here today should I do that, okay? But we all want to be learners, amen? Because the only way you grow is by learning. You have to engage the process. And one of the commitments that I've made in my life is I want to be a learner until the day that I die. Amen? Make every effort to live in the unity of the Spirit, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Put the effort in toward unity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so grateful for you speaking to us. 
We ask, Lord, that you'll take this message and, uh, Lord, seal it in our hearts. We pray you'll take all these principles we've learned over these seven weekends together. I pray that they would become more than just points of information. I pray they would truly be challenging points of transformation. Help us by the Spirit of God to build strong friendships in every relationship of life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.